Arjuna Trimanandasya Jana Jana Salakaya Chakshun Militanyena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha Vanchakalpatu Vyascha Kripa Sindhu Bhavacha Patita Nam Bhavanebhyo Vaishnavidyo Namo Namaha Well, it's been a while, but thank you for having me back. With your blessings, we'll try to say something that will enthuse our practice. And with the blessings of Bhakti Obai Ashram Maharaj, I'll speak. We've spoken a lot about a lot of different things over the last couple years. My focus for the next few visits will be specifically on those foundational uh, narrations from the Bhagavat Purana, Srimad Bhagavatam, that text around all of our practice revolves. And today's class is specifically going to deal with something that's critical in our devotional lives. And that is that offense which can and will, beyond a shadow of a doubt, devastate the spiritual opportunity that we've been blessed with. And that devastation can be prolonged or it can be short. And what we're speaking of is the first offense to the holy name, which is? To offend the Vaishnava. What prompted my talk today on Sadhu Sindha was offenses to Vaishnavas by someone sitting on the throne of intellect. Now the narration we're going to deal with today is going to be about a gentleman who sits on the throne of material existence. He directs things. He's the king of heaven. But first, I thought we would begin by familiarizing ourselves with what are the components of Srimad Bhagavatam as spoken about in the text itself. We're going to start with first some appreciation Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Nasta Preeshu Abhyeshu Nityam Bhagavata Sevaya. Bhagavachutamashloke Bhaktir Bhavati Mastiki. In the beginning of the second canto, the subject matters of Srimad Bhagavatam are delineated in the verse that we're going to chant together. Shri Sukha Uvacha Atra Sargo Visargascha Atra sargo visargascha. Atra sargo visargascha. 
Dhanam Posanam Utaya Staram Posanam Utaya Manvantare Sanukata Manvans I'm sorry Manvantare Sanukata Nirodo Muktir Ashraya Nirodo Muktir Ashraya Atrasargo Visargas Cha Stadam Polsanam Autaya Manvantare Sanukata Nirodo Muktir Ashraya Sri Sukadev Goswami said I'm going to kind of walk through these but thank you now for those who want to be scholarly and then and it's a, it's a good thing to be somewhat scholarly in Srimad Bhagavatam it is it is Krishna. What else is it? Every shloka, every word. This is an incarnation, the literary incarnation of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And these are the subject matters which are the which are Srimad Bhagavatam. This verse is a good verse to learn. And in learning the verse, we learn. What are the definitions of the different Sanskrit words? We'll begin at the end with that shelter, ashraya, the last word in the text. Ashraya, ashraya, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Sri Krishna, Suman Bonum. So ashraya is what? Shelter. And, well, if there's a shelter, there has to be the sheltered. The sheltered are referred to as asrita. The shelter, the one, the quintessential subject of Srimad Bhagavatam is giving shelter. Within this literary incarnation, to ten principal subject matters. The verse begins, Atra Sargo. Atra, in this Srimad Bhagavatam, we're going to discuss these things. Sarga, first creation by Vishnu. Anybody know the name of this Vishnu? He lies in an ocean. The first Vishnu is Karnadakshai. He lives in the, he, he resides in the ocean, the Karna Ocean, the ingrediential ocean from which from which the material manifestation is coming. It's coming from him. It's coming from his pores. The text even speaks of it coming from his breathing. He's breathing out and all these material universes. In, in, innumerable, uncountable, we can't conceive of how these material universes are coming. They're coming from 
Parnadakshayas. The first creation, Sarga. The second creation, Visarga. Visarga is a creation within one of those innumerable universes. Coming from So we start with Garbodakshvai Vishnu. In each universe, there's it's a big shell, according to the what Bhagavatam is telling us. And half of that shell is water. Vishnu's lying down. He's manifesting himself within the universe, lying on that ocean. And from his navel, Brahma comes. And Brahma doesn't know how he got there and what he's supposed to do. And he meditates and he thinks and he tries to figure it out, tries to explore his environment. He crawls into the stem of the lotus and he descends and looks and he can't find that source. Where in the hell did I come from? What am I doing here? He couldn't figure, couldn't, empirically, sensually, couldn't penetrate that knowledge. So he did penetrate that knowledge. He penetrated that knowledge through meditation. And in his mature meditation, who comes? Krishna comes. Krishna comes and he, he, he through revelation, he revealed himself, he revealed what is that supreme objective of the material existence? And with that supreme objective, Brahma could understand what was his duty, was to present facility through material creation for the living entities to come to platform of realization where they could become spiritually improved. That's interesting, isn't it? That what did Brahma see? He entered into, he had a vision of Krishna's playful pastimes. So the objective's out there and now he is here, he has a duty to perform, he has to create an atmosphere where those living entities who are involved in some scar, in some sara, since no forever what is the word come on anadi we can't trace it out beginningless we can't find the beginning because it has no beginning it's anadi a naughty karma. So he's giving facility here. Let me make a facility for the continuance of this perpetual karma with the objective of, of giving a facility to the living entity to not over not only experience that karma, but also a facility whereby they can attain that ultimate objective which is the mature fruit of his meditation. 
Well, if you have any universe, you have to keep everything in order. The next word, stana, the maintenance of the universe by the personality of Godhead. I'm going to get on to a pastime, so I'm not going to really dig down deep and bore deep into these. Three modes of material nature, goodness, passion, and ignorance. Brahma creates, Shiva destroys, and Vishnu maintains. So this word, stana, is referring to the activities of Lord Vishnu within a material universe to maintain the living entities there. Posana. Special care and protection for the devotees. We'll touch on this a little bit in the narration today. But there is some special care that the Supreme gives to those that recognize him. Do we call that favoritism? What are we talking about here? Is he partial? He's partial. To his devotees. Uti. Uh, yeah, that's what we get ourselves involved in. We get involved in creating what? Our own misfortune. <laughs> and we call it karma. We have an urge to create so much good fortune for ourselves, but within the atmosphere, which is not spiritual, which is foreign to us, like a fish out of water, we do our creating to try to enjoy, and it just never really bears a fruit that's fully, we're fully able to appreciate. It's always a little bit out of our grasp. Again, not a subject of our narration today, but this is all basic Bhagavad Gita, and you all know these things. If not, Maharaj will instruct you this week. Don't, don't miss <laughs> any classes. Manvantara, within the material universes, there are periods of time. And when we, when what Sukadev is using here by referring to Manvantaras, he's referring to a very long period of time. Uh, within a day of Brahma, Manu, a different Manu is in charge of, of creating. Each Manu is in charge for 71 yuga cycles. There are a thousand yuga cycles in one day of Brahma. Uh, there are 14 Manus in, in a day of Brahma. The Manvantara is that long period of time, which is 71 yuga cycles, which is one administration. In this country, how long is the administration? Four years, sometimes eight. We're in the middle of a day of Brahma, to give you an idea. We're in the seventh Manvantara, real special Manvantara. Why? Krishna comes himself once in a day of Brahma, and guess what? That's today. <laughs> Lord Chaitanya also comes once in a day of Brahma, and that's today too. We just missed both of them. But what we didn't miss is Lord Chaitanya's benediction when he comes once in that day of Brahma. That is what is fueling this Krishna consciousness movement. That is our 
benediction. Isa Nukatha, spiritual, I'm sorry, scriptural information of the Lord for progressive human life. Another one of the topics presented in Srimad Bhagavatam. Niroda, the winding up of the energies. After Karna Dakshai Vishnu breathes out, he breathes in and all the universes, we would say, cease to exist. They're no longer manifest. And all that karma that is expressed in those universes, that beginningless karma, goes into a state of restfulness until there is some urge to breathe out again by the Supreme. Mukti, loving service to the Lord in Vaikuntha Loka or Krishna Loka. Thank you. That is a mukti of the Vaishnavas. And that's the only mukti that really is of any significance. The other mukti here again, we're not going to go into the various. <laughs> this is the best mukti. Let's stick with this definition. This one will not disappoint, I guarantee. All right, we're going to talk about Sadhu Ninda. We're going to talk about Sadhu Ninda as presented in the sixth canto of Srimad Bhagavatam of this literary incarnation of the Supreme Personality of Godhead in relationship with the pastime, the appearance of Ritrasura and his glorious death. Um, long, I mean practically the whole sixth canto. There's four chapters in the beginning where the first two chapters about Arjamil. We've just had, a, we just had a, dis a description in the fifth canto of the material creation in depth, ending with a description of the hellish atmospheres within this material universe. And then, well, well what can we do about that? Parikshit asks, and then we get the story of Ajamil. And from that, Sukadev Goswami continues to explain the specific manifestations of 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 the different line, uh, lineages, no, what do I want to say? Uh, families coming from Manas. Uh, the the Prajapatis, the the people that populate a universe. So he talks about Daksha, and in the narration, in speaking about these lineages coming down from the progenitors of mankind who what? They have to populate the universe, so why? So that the living entity can work out his karma, ultimately being exposed to circumstances whereby he would hopefully end karma altogether and, and stop his individual cycle of repeated birth and death. In going through these explanations, we're speaking about Aditi and Kashyapa, two of these progenitors, and Aditi's offsprings are primarily in the mode of goodness. And in speaking of the offspring of Aditi and Kashyapa, 
the name comes up of Prajapati Twasta. Sukadev mentions Rachana. But guess what? She wasn't in the mode of goodness. She was what would be called from the demoniac family, from the wrong side of the tracks. So why? Twasta married somebody from the wrong side of the tracks, somebody from a demoniac heritage. In discussing this, this brings to mind, you can imagine Sukadev is, is going through, he's giving all these different lineages, which is core to, to what is presented in any Purana. These histories of mankind, they give this family and then this family, this is coming from the Moon Dynasty, this is coming from the Sun Dynasty, all this is coming, and all of a sudden he comes across, across this name and it, it perks a memory. Ah, a memory of Ritrasura. This is very interesting, first of all, because within Srimad Bhagavatam we have the story of Ritrasura, which I said in the sixth canto is practically the entire sixth canto. Ten chapters of the 18, I believe, are, are dealing with this, with this particular pastime and the life of Ritrasura. And Although you may not know it, there, in current human society, there are certain individuals that claim that the Bhagavatam is not an old text, that it was written in current times by an author referred to as Vopadev. Well, that's, that's not proper information. And Srila Prabhupada points out in the, in, in the teachings of Lord Chaitanya, Bhaktivedanta Swami makes mention of the fact that the Bhagavat Purana, Srimad Bhagavatam, is mentioned in the oldest Purana, the Matsya Purana. And two characteristics are given of this Srimad Bhagavatam. One, it begins with Gayatri, and two, it contains the narration and life of Ritrasura. So that's his evidence that this is not a recent text. First of all, in the Matya Purana, which is the oldest Purana, this text is mentioned. How could it be done by a contemporary author based on this information? Time place, circumstance. We want to talk about Ritrasura. Ritrasura being, giving us some insight into Sadhu Ninda, which is very critical. Uh, we must avoid it. And Mukti, liberation. Not just any liberation. A liberation that seems so uncharacteristic. I mean, I thought the moral people, the good people, the righteous people were the people that, that go to the, to, the, to the spiritual world. We just heard at the beginning of the canto about Ajamil, a fallen devotee, 
And now we come to another narration, Ritrasura, and as the narration unfolds, we'll find out Ritrasura is a demon. So here's Ajamil, a fallen devotee. He goes back to home, back to Godhead. And now here's Ritrasura, a demon. Let's go into how this happened. I'm not going to go all the way. Next class I give, I will give the backstory. I'm going to talk about the front story today a little bit. Next class we'll talk about Ritrasura's last life. How did he become a demon? Time, place, circumstance. The time is the end of Satya Yuga and the beginning of Treta Yuga. Four ages of mankind. Satya, Treta, Dwarpa, Kali. This particular pastime took place at the end of the, the, the grandest age of mankind, Satya Yuga, and the beginning of Treta Yuga. Where did it take place? It took place on the bank of the Narmada. It's brought out in the text of Srimad Bhagavatam by the commentators. Don't confuse this with a river in India, also called Narmada. This happened in the heavenly planets. But there was also, so they also have a river of the same name. So where did it happen? The heavenly planets. When did it happen? It happened at the end of Satya, in the beginning of Treta Yuga. And in this Puranic pastime, there has to be those players. So I've listed the players here for you. Let me kind of tell you what happened. You can imagine the king of heaven. What a position. Wow. First of all, opulence, worship. I mean, imagine to be, to be in his court. And he's sitting on the throne. And he's being worshipped by all these individuals because he's the king of heaven. He's running the show. All the other demigods are working under his direction. In this scene, you can imagine he's feeling pretty confident, prideful, well-situated, dare I say, superior. Mm -hmm. He's feeling pretty good about himself. And in walks his spiritual master. What's the first thing you do when, you, when your spiritual master comes into your presence? You bow down. Indra is sitting on the throne sitting there, his wife is sitting at his side and he has so many advisors and the advisors are saying well actually there are certain Shastra directives that say in your position here now at this time really not appropriate for you to bow down off the throne to your spiritual master Shastra contains so many things mm -hmm. So they advised him, no, it's okay. It might not look good for you to bow down in this assembly. 
people may misunderstand that you're not in charge. Or whatever reasoning they gave him, he followed it. Well, the spiritual master walks in. He sees he's not getting any respect here. This is a minor offense. Basically, when we look at offenses, we can offend with what? We can offend in our mind. We can think bad thoughts. We can offend with our words. More, more serious. We can actually offend physically. Most serious. So in his mind, following bad advice, he didn't bow down. Spiritual master, maybe he doesn't respect me anymore. He's not showing me proper respect. I'm out of here. He leaves. <laughs> Indra notices. He notices his departure. And he realizes the error in his ways. So I've pulled out a few texts. And the first text is what Indra says when, he, when his senses come back to him. So what's he say? Leaders who have fallen into ignorance and who mislead people by directing them to the path of destruction are, in effect, boarding a stone boat, and so too are those who blindly follow them. My advisors are fallen into ignorance, not realizing the significance of the sadhu. And I jumped on their boat, only to find out this is a stone boat. My spiritual master disappeared from the, from the scene. What, what a fool I am. Blind following the blind, and guess what? We all fall in the ditch. So Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur comments, if society is guided by political diplomacy, with one nation maneuvering against another, it will certainly sink like a stone boat. Political maneuvering and diplomacy will not save human society. Wherever it raises its ugly head, we're not talking about just world governments. Actually, you could even see some people putting in religious institutions themselves. We sometimes see diplomacy. As I said, something prompted me to give this class today. It was an observance of Sadhu Ninda by a person who was sitting on the throne of their intellect and by their offensive words, which are even more grievous than thoughts, they brought tears to the eyes of Krishna's devotee. Tears that can drown the whole universe. The compassion, the love, the feeling that Krishna has for his devotee. To bring tears to a devotee's eye through blasphemous words, these things happen. And when we see this maneuvering, this diplomacy, no matter it be in a government, no matter it be in a religious institution, we must stand out up and we must take a stand. Why? Because it's in the best interest 
of that person who is offending and in the best interest of that spiritual community which he claims to be a part of. Indra looked everywhere for his spiritual master and he could not find him. Because he wasn't, didn't have the good direction of his spiritual master, Brihaspati, well, the demoniac leaders, the demoniac section, saw an opportunity. And they went to their spiritual master, who was present before them, Sukhachari, and said, what should we do? He says, attack. Now's your time. <laughs> Indra and his host of demigods have lost their spiritual master. They have lost their spiritual potency. And you can now take advantage of the situation. And they did attack. And in the battle that ensued, the demigods were dethroned. What do we do now? We've lost our position. They couldn't find Brihaspati because generally in a situation like this, they would go. They looked. They couldn't find. Where did they go? They went to Brahma. What do we do? Although you may not like what I'm going to say, I can recommend a priest, a Brahmin, uh, who can act as your spiritual master, who can direct you, He's well situated. He has a bit of a colorful background. Although his father came from the right side of the tracks, his mother came from the wrong. But still, in this situation, under these circumstances, I can't think of anybody who could do the job better than him. Why don't you ask him to act as your priest? He recommended that the Demigods except this except Vishvarupa, who was the progeny of Hwasta and the wife that came from a demoniac background. So they did that. They accepted him as a priest, but he did give him a caution. He did warn him now, be a little be a little tolerant of this particular priest. He has a tendency to look to his mother's side of the family favorably. Don't hold that against him. They employed Vishwarupa. Vishwarupa said, well, I know you're being attacked by the demons. We need to give you some protection against them. He said, Indra, you're, you're heading the scene up. Let me, let, me, let me train you up in a specific way where you can protect your whole body and, and you can fight with nothing but success. And his form of protection was in, in the shape of mantras. He gave him the mantras of uh, Narayan Kavacha. There is a whole chapter in the text of Srimad Bhagavatam. If you're ever feeling you need a little protection, you can, I guess you could go there. He got this uh, Narayan Kuvacha. He protected his body. And uh, Indra and the host of demigods were able to defeat the demons. They were able to reclaim the throne. And they proceeded to, uh, to continue to use Vishwarupa. And in using Vishwarupa, he would do his priestly duties and in perform so many sacrifices for the benefit of the demigods. 
Uh, and in doing that, Indra noticed that he's chanting, giving me and giving Agni and giving the wind god. He's, he's giving them all these ablations in the fire and we're getting, but what does he say? What's that under his breath? I can't, what? He's also giving ablations for the benefit of the demons? I can't allow that. Indra thinks this is, I, what is this? He's giving strength to my enemy? Indra can't take it. He proceeds to cut off three heads. Visarupa had three heads. One was for drinking Soma Ras, which made him immortal. One was for drinking wine, which made him happy. <laughs> and one was for sustaining his body where he ate his food. So he had three heads. And he cut off those heads. Wait a minute. This is a priest. He's a Brahmin. He just killed a Brahmin. He started out by offending in his mind his spiritual master, and now he's up the ante. He's gone from just thinking about offending somebody to physically killing a Brahmin. What's the reaction for that? Well, there is a reaction. It came to him. It came after him. Well, Indra, as I said, he's the king of heaven. He's in charge of a lot of stuff. And uh, he said, well, you know, I don't really want to suffer all that reaction. Maybe I could spread that around. Let's see. Who could take some of this reaction? I'll give some to the earth. I'll give a quarter of the reaction to this sin of killing a Brahmin to the earth. He did. The earth said yes. The earth took. And therefore on the face of the planet we have what? Deserts. Nothing can grow in the desert. What was the benediction for the earth? Ah, with the earth, whenever you dig a hole in the earth, what comes? Water. Oh, maybe I should share this sin with water. So, goes to the ocean, the water. He says, will you take, oh yeah, I'll take a quarter. Why? Because you've given me what? A benediction. What is my benediction? Whatever you mix me with, increases in volume. Put a little water in milk, you have more milk. <laughs> well, there's half of the sinful reactions gone. Ah, yes. The negative th thing was the foam and bubbles. Their actual reaction of the water to the sin that they accepted was the fact that there'll be some foam, some bubbles with water. The saintly people say avoid that, just like you wouldn't live on a desert. Don't drink foamy water. <laughs> Could be something in it. Could be from your damn river. <laughs> so I got another half of my sins together to get rid of he looks to the trees who are on the face of the earth well what's the benediction the trees have whoever comes and chops off grows back chop off a limb grows back that's pretty nice 
Except when you look to the apple orchard beside Sagrahi. They keep chopping these limbs off and the, they, the, in the winter when the apple orchard is not covered with leaves, these trees look really weird. Gnarly. Yeah. <laughs> but that's their benediction. Grows back and there is also also what? Sap. Sap is the reaction. The sap of the tree, the blood of the tree. Um, so actually the 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 Brahmins they try to avoid that. Except the Brahmins. Now here again, I don't I don't because I know many I had a god brother who, who who passed away who was a sannyasi that just he had to have maple syrup. Even on his deathbed, he said, Could you give me some maple syrup? I think he was from Canada, if I remember correctly. Uh, well, in mixed company, I don't like to tell you the fourth one, but I will. <laughs> Excuse me in advance. If you, as a spiritual soul, are placed in the woman's body, in that body, when you are there, you can enjoy lustful desires all the time. Even when you are bearing a child. That is your benediction when you're in a woman's body. The sinful reaction that the woman took on for Indra, the curse, was the curse. No more needs to be said. No one here doesn't know what the curse is. <laughs> All right. He was able to dissipate that reaction to those four entities. Yes. You, you said that all those elements, you know, all those personalities, they agree to accept those wishes. You know, like the earth did and the water tribe, you all say it together. Mm -hmm. Did the women ever agree? You can't remember I mean, the question? Would he have asked and who would he have asked? He doesn't. Which You could take that up with your spiritual master. <laughs> I'm going to dodge that question because I don't know the answer. There is a weekly call. I think you might. You took advantage of that today. You, anyway, that'll be your call. <laughs> well, let's just talk about the fact that with his son decapitated. Twasta, who is also a great, powerful Prajapati and Brahmin, he was upset, and being upset, he wanted revenge. He performed a fire sacrifice. From the fire sacrifice, without the help of a woman, he conjured up a demon. And that demon 
is Ritra Sora, the, he is the main character in today, today's narration. Ritra. Ritra means in Sanskrit covering. Big, huge. He was a huge demon. And, or should I say he was in a demon's body? Okay, we'll go to that next class. But anyway, he, he came and uh, he, looked like a demon. he certainly looked like a demon. He acted like a demon. He didn't preach like a demon. So again, a big fight ensued between Ritrasura, Indra, and all the demigods. And during this fight, the true character of Ritrasura came out. But actually, this fight to him was a benediction. This fight to him was an opportunity to dissipate the last little bit of reaction he had within material existence. He was actually very well situated for one of those ten topics of the Bhagavatam, which is Mukti. Almost there. Had a little bit of reaction left. What is What happens if you are killed on a battlefield? If you're a Kshatriya? What? Yes. Which means what? All those bad reactions have been dissipated. So, he wanted to be killed by Indra in the battle. The narration in Bhagavatam gives so, many, so much information. During the battle with Indra, in seeing Ritrasura on the battlefield, the other demigods just were terrified. He was so huge. He covered everything, as I said. He covered the whole sky. Just, just, just seeing him, just experiencing his, his presence, the demigods fainted. They just, they didn't fight, they fainted <laughs> in fear. You can imagine. Richard just walked over them, condemned them. Of course, prior to this, his, men, his own men, they were fleeing the battlefield. His demoniac associates were like, they, they weren't being very successful in the battle. And, and they left. And Richard Sora condemned them. And then when the when the demigods saw the demons running, well, they attacked them from behind. Ritrasura says, don't do that. If they're running away, if they're running in fear of their lives, then you let them go. You don't fight with them by killing them from behind. So he's condemning the demons for, from, from abandoning the battlefield. He's giving nothing but dharmic knowledge. Then he's condemning the demigods from from ch for chasing them and killing them from behind. And then he, in fear of his presence, the demigods are fainting. And in seeing that, Brahma becomes enraged. I'm not Brahma. Indra becomes enraged. And he attacks Ritrasura. And he throws a huge mace. Okay, this is a stick with a big ball on the end of it. I don't know what Indra's mace looks like, but generally they have little spikes coming out of them. 
you know, not 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 a pleasant thing. And Richard Sword just reaches up and grabs it. I mean, it's a big demon. It didn't it didn't even phase him. Actually, Vitrasura attacks Indra on his uh, he's on his, seated on his elephant. That's one of the cast cast of characters here. His name is Aravata. Knocks him back considerably. He actually falls down. Indra, well, Indra, these demagogues are not, you know, they're not shabby people. They're very powerful in and of themselves. Puts his hands on on the on the head of the elephant, and he immediately comes back to life. Pretty good. Indra's like stunned. What the heck do I do now? I threw my mace, and the guy just caught it and threw it back and knocked knocked my carrier back uh, 14 feet or yards or whatever it was, and uh, and practically killed him. And well, what do, what do I do now? Well, a little backstory. In anticipation of the battle, seeing that Vitrasura is, is, is coming uh, from, from, the, from the fire of Twasta's sacrifice, and again seeking counsel, how do we deal with that? The demigods were instructed that you, you are familiar with the power of the Narayan Kuvacha. There's an individual who has this power He's, he's taken this on. He's a very, very saintly person. He's a Brahmin. I'm sure he'll help you. He can help you. Uh, he's willing to help you. So there's also an, a part of this narration wherein it's discussed that this individual, the Muni, Dadachi, Dadachi Muni, is approached by the demigods. And could you please help us? Uh, Twasta has conjured up a demon, and how can we kill a demon with that much power who's, been, who's come at the hand of a Brahma? I mean, a Brahman as powerful as Twasta. So they, he says, well, okay. Uh, we've been told that you will, you will give us in sacrifice uh, the ingredients whereby we can defeat this demon. So Dadachi being a Muni, is willing to sacrifice his body for the benefit of the demigods, for the benefit of the universe, for the well-being of the universe, he's willing to give his body. Very saintly person. So he does. And from his bones, uh, Vishwakarma conjures up a thunderbolt. He delivers it to Indra. He says, nothing can defeat this because it has the power of Dadachi, who received power from the mantra of the Narayan Kavacha. Now, it's interesting. When we look at these mantras and we look at the power of mantra within the material universe, it comes up again and again. This mantra can give you this, this, that. It performs sacrifices. Well, Twasta... He did, too, a sacrifice to conjure up the demon. And the intent of his sacrifice was what? I want to produce offspring out of this fire of sacrifice who can kill Indra, who is the enemy of Indra. O enemy of Indra, flourish to kill your enemy without delay. 
he used the mantra which would give the demon the power to kill Indra but 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 he made a little mistake in inflection in chanting that mantra we're lucky we don't have to worry about that Hare Krishna, Krishna's mantra Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare attentive inattentive good pronunciation not even knowing what you're pronouncing you can't go wrong with the Maha Mantra with the mantra that Twasta used to conjure up the demon he did go wrong he did give wrong emphasis to one syllable and when trying to conjure up Ritrasura to kill Indra who would be Indra's enemy he said the mantra in search a way that Indra could come out victorious ain't that the way of material existence you get one little thing wrong and everything goes to hell as I said Indra was discouraged he didn't want to go down, didn't want to go on he lost his mace his elephant had fallen he was afraid to fight this demon was too much for him to handle Richard Sawyer said wait a minute what is wrong with you come on they gave you a thunderbolt that's invincible use it he had to really preach to Indra to please will you kill me I want out of this place this is my opportunity if I can die on this battlefield my material existence is going to come to an end will you please get up and fight what is wrong please come let's get this get on with it the narration goes on Indra did follow Richard instructions he did attack he did cut off Richard one arm then he cut off his other arm Richard opened his mouth where have we heard that before <laughs> he opened his mouth and he swallowed Indra tried to kill him that way in doing that Indra he the thunderbolt was so powerful that Indra could cut his way out of that gigantic body Ritra that covered everything he came out took him a while <laughs> but what took him longer than getting out of Ritrasura's stomach was how long it took him to remove his head from his body. Uh, Bhagavatama lived, what was it, a hundred years? And remember this pastime took place where? Narmada, where? In the heavenly planets? Long, long time. Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur in his commentary points out Pritra had already gone. He'd already gone. He left. Anyway, his head was removed from his body and everything back everything went back to normal in the heavenly planet for another day or two. <laughs> Till the next time that we neglect our spiritual master or we neglect Krishna's devotees or we think so much of ourselves that we insult devotees call them things I won't even say in this class to even think of someone saying such things about a devotee breaks our heart 
This is a very sweet sangha we have. Let us keep it always free of sadhuyinda. Lest we end up like Indra, chased by our sinful reactions, having to share our sinful reactions with others. After he killed Ritrasura, well, Ritrasura turned out to be the son of a Brahmin, right? He was conjured by a Brahmin, Twasta, so he was also Brahminical in nature. And he was a great devotee. It turns out in the narration, we find out he was a tremendous devotee. Guess what? Indra couldn't share the reactions of that killing. Now, again, let me tell you, this is not prejudicial in any way. Bhagavatam's not trying to be prejudicial. But in order to bring out what Indra went through, it talks about the fact that Indra was then chased by a low-class woman. Low-class woman. With what? Yeah, tuberculin body. Not pretty. He was scared. He didn't, he didn't really want to give her a hug. <laughs> he went off to a heavenly planet. He, he hid out for, what was it, a year? Under the water. Under the water in Manasa in the stems of the lotus. Practically lost his whole body weight. No one, Agni, who generally distributes the fire. Agni is a name for the fire god. And when there's a sacrifice... He hands out the plates of prashadam, the oblation. Well, it's in the water was where Indra was hiding. He couldn't even get his share. Yeah. So serious is offenses to devotees. Uh, this narration talks to us of those offenses. And uh, keep, keep this sangha free of sadhu ninda. We may have philosophical dis discourse and we may not agree on philosophical points. Srimad Bhagavatam is there. Srimad Bhagavatam is, is read and studied by all the various Vaishnavas. Now when we, when we study Srimad Bhagavatam, we take the Bhagavatam as it is given to us through the eyes of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And we take the narration as they are explained by his most intimate associates, the Goswamis. Their granthas are the, the eyes through which we see Srimad Bhagavatam. And our practice is based on their vision of how to be Vaishnavas. Therefore, we are called what? We are distinguished as being Gaudiya Vaishnavas. Are there any questions? Well, I thank you for the benediction of being able to speak with you. I am now going to share the benediction of this narration with you. In this very great narrative, there is glorification of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Narayan, 
There are statements about the exaltedness of devotional service. There are descriptions of devotees like Indra and Vritrasura, and there are statements about King Indra's release from sinful life. And about his victory in fighting the demons. By understanding this incident, one is relieved of all sinful reactions. Is that good enough for today? <laughs> Therefore, the learned are always advised to read this narration. If one does so, one will become expert in the activities of the senses. His opulence will increase, and his reputation will become widespread. One will also be relieved of all sinful reactions. He will conquer all his enemies and the duration of his life will increase because this narration is auspicious in all respects. Learned scholars regularly hear and repeat it on every festival day. Thank you so much for your association. Thank you.